All right, we have a great episode of Side Retired today. We are going to be joined once again by Hall of Fame voter Mark Narducci to go through his 2024 MLB Hall of Fame ballot. So Matt, let's hit the intro music and we'll get right into this. Hello and welcome to this edition of Side Retired. It's Dylan Campione and Matt Potter, as always. And Matt, I love doing this interview last year and we're fortunate enough to get to do it again this year. Mark Narducci will be joining us, baseball Hall of Fame writer and reporter, as well as he voted for the Hall of Fame this year. So, Mr. Narducci, thanks so much for joining us again on the podcast. We really appreciate it. Yeah, great to be with you guys, Dylan. Absolutely. So, for those who don't know, the Baseball Hall of Fame writers needed to submit their ballots, I believe by December 31st, everything needed to be submitted in. Then the announcement will take place later in January. Voters can vote for up to 10 individuals on the ballot. Mr. Narducci checked off six players. If I have this correct, you checked off for Adrian Beltre and Todd Helton as returning players. And then a quartet of new players, or Billy Wagner as well. And then you had Joe Maurer, Chase Utley, David Wright, Adrian Beltre, and then Todd Helton and Billy Wagner are your two returners on the ballot so if you want to just take us through the main process of when you first received the ballot what was the thought process going into it well usually Dylan when I when I vote for someone I vote for them you know what I mean like some people and again I don't I sit on the ballot I don't vote for the steroid guys but I don't criticize anyone for voting some people change it around and all that I when I vote for someone they're on my ballot so I voted for uh Helton last year, you know, everyone talks about his his uh, Coors Field numbers and all, but he had like an 858 career OPS away from home, uh, away from Coors Field. He was a 316 career hitter, a five-time All-Star, Silver Slugger guy, couple Gold Gloves. I, I I thought he made. I I I think he made it easily. Uh, Billy Wagner, you you could argue he had a terrible postseason. Uh, record, but it only included, I think, 10 and a third innings. But still, it, it wasn't very good. Um, although I did mention he, he was three for three in save opportunities. But, uh, you know, he, he has, I think, the, the second uh, lowest DRA among Hall of Fame relievers. He has the, the highest strikeout uh, per nine innings of any pitcher with a, a minimum 750 innings. And when you have something that sensational, I just I think he belongs uh, again. Some people maybe didn't think he did enough. He also had an 86 uh, percent save percentage, uh, over 400 saves. So Wagner was it for me. Um, Beltre, I, I think, was pretty, pretty easy. I, I, I wonder if he's going to be I don't know if he'll be unanimous, but he's, he's going to be in the high 90s. Uh, Three thousand hits uh, over. I think it was like 470 home runs, gold gloves. He was only a four-time All-Star, which was kind of interesting for all the years that he played and all, all that he accomplished. But he, he to me was just a no-brainer. And then, and then come the other three where you could have some questions. Joe Mauer, uh, Joe Mauer, what made it for me, um, Dylan? Ten years, uh, he was a catcher. Uh, we know about the injuries. We know about the concussions. We know that he moved to first base, and he was really an average hitter after that. But for those 10 seasons, 
uh, he had a, a slash, uh, impressive slash line. He batted over 300. He had three batting titles. No catcher ever in the history of the game ever won three batting titles. So, I, again, I think when you do something rare like that, and it didn't happen once, it didn't happen twice, it happened three times. Uh, he, he was an MVP. So, for Mauer, he was a gold glover. Uh, he was a six-time All-Star. So, for me, Mauer made it uh, uh, before the injuries really took it. Then you have Chase Utley, again, very controversial, uh, under 1,900 hits. Didn't have the uh, big stats, but I I thought for his time, um, he, he was great. He had a five-year period where he averaged a 7.7 war of Fangraph's war. That, that's that's an incredible number. He had 258 home, or 59 home runs, I believe, fourth all-time. Uh, he, he had... He hit five home runs in a World Series to, to set a record for a single World Series. And I, I I can understand the people that say Utley didn't do it long enough, but he was a six-time All-Star. And I thought, again, before injuries in the knees really got to him, um, he was one of the best players in baseball. Um, and finally, David Wright, who I know is a favorite of yours. Again, he really wasn't productive after his age 31 season. And that's because of the uh, stenosis injury that he had that, that eventually ended his career. Uh, but he had a nine-year period uh, where he averaged like, I think it was 293. I'll, I'll get that for you. But his slash line was incredible there. He was a seven-time All-Star. Uh, he was a gold glove winner as well. So I, I thought David Wright did, a, did as much. Um, and one other thing I'll say to you, Dylan and Matt, we're judging these guys you know, on stats against previous Hall of Famers and stuff like that. But you got to remember that as great as the old timers were, they're, they're not facing relief pitchers throwing 100 <laughs> every game. And and it's a little bit different. And I, I think you, you sometimes have to add that up as well. Absolutely. So, you know, you touched on how Adrian Beltre, long career, very prolific hitter. And then you have David Wright, who probably had, you know, a little bit less of a, a sample size. You know, how do you how do you stack up against I get I guess geez yeah. um you know somebody who had kind of a smaller sample size but was fantastic versus Adrian Beltre he said was only a four-time all-star but he just had kind of more on his resume how do you compare those two when they're seemingly very different but they both made your ballot yeah that's an interesting question Matt I, I don't even think you have to compare them because I thought I think Beltre just did so much and and he didn't. He did more than just compile stats, but he did have a a, a lot of longstanding stats. And, and I, I try not to compare them. A guy like that who who proved excellence over a long time. I have him on there. Right on the other hand, wasn't excellent for a long time, but the time he was good, uh, he was really good. Here's a slash line from two hundred five to two thirteen, three hundred two, three eighty four, five hundred five with a one thirty eight. OPS plus. I mean, those are serious numbers. And, and I, I know people want longevity. And for those people, I, I don't criticize them, but I, I saw excellence there in that nine years. And that's a, nine years, a pretty long time. Absolutely. And I think sort of similar to that, it's the question of would his hall of fame case have gotten better by being a mediocre player at best in those age 35, 36 seasons, or at the end of the day, I feel like that peak is what we would be measuring and saying, Oh, David, right to hall of famer if he was or if he wasn't, wouldn't be based on how well he did in that age 37 season. It is, as you're mentioning, that 2005 to 2013 
regardless of if he played those years after the spinal stenosis. Yeah, and really, the 2014, he played a full season, but it, it wasn't he wasn't great that year. And then, of course, he missed a season along the line, and he didn't play a whole lot. So his extra years, I think, actually hurt him. They hurt his averages <laughs> and, and stuff like that. But I, I'm not one of these kinds of guys, Dylan, that says, hey, if you didn't get 2,000 uh, hits, you're not on my ballot. I, I, I kind of look at some other things, too. Absolutely. I guess sort of a follow up to that is that in the past couple of years, some guys that I think people are considering maybe borderline as like a Harold Baines got into the Hall of Fame. Does that go into your thought process of, hey, Scott Rowland got in last year and so David Wright's a comparable player. So that's why David Wright goes in. Or is it in each case as an individual? Each, and you don't look each at the case, past? each case, because people voted for Harold Baines, who I uh, I guess he was voted on by one of the committees. Um because no, that that doesn't go in at all. I, I I try to compare it, but I mean, I I look at a right and I and I look and I look at a rolling and and the two of them have made the same number of all star teams. And I I believe maybe rolling made eight. I'm not sure, but either way, I, Wright's numbers were very comparable. Rolling, I thought, was a Hall of Famer. Sometimes you 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 make the comparisons, but I I just want to look at the guy on um, what he did and if I think he he belongs in there. And I know when you put out your ballot, you always say, you know, this is what I think, but I, I'll i never, you know, criticize what other people think for for various reasons. And then you kind of went into a detailed explanation. And I know before we we hopped on on uh, recording, you're talking about kind of how brutal the comment section was. <laughs> so you know, how do you deal with, I guess, you know, once you make this ballot public, how do you deal with the public? And then are there writers that will email you or, or text you and say, you know, what the hell were you thinking? Is the community kind of, you know, a little harsh in that sense or are all the writers kind of nice to each other for the most part? That's a good question, Matt. I have not heard from from writers saying that, <laughs> but uh, what, what Matt's referring to, by the way, for people who don't know, I, I published this on MLBTradeRumors.com and then on the bottom they have comments and I think there were <laughs> over 400 of them there. I, again, I, I can't worry about what people think. I, I would love it if they all loved it, but this is, this is so subjective, you know, uh, that I, I can understand them disagreeing. And, and here's what I've always said. You can disagree with me. In the, let's not make it personal. You know, let's just, <laughs> Hey, I, I think you're crazy or whatever. Okay. That's fine. But whatever that you're not there to try to, you know, get the acceptance of the fans. You're there to try to do what's best for you. There are many people who vote in a way that I, I would never vote. But as I said, I, I, I would not, I would not criticize those people because it's, it's so subjective. No, absolutely. I'm sure one of those debates that always happens is the steroid guys. Bonds and Clemens are officially off the ballot, but of course we were welcomed by new guys such as Alex Rodriguez and Manny Ramirez. And I know we discussed this last year, but for our newer listeners, what is your stance on the steroid issue and how do you determine who should be and who shouldn't be on a ballot? I, I thought this, the steroid issue was so damaged the game and, and we're still having damage from it because you look at statistics, you look at bonds being the quote all time home run leader. And I thought it was just such a damaging process that I decided that I, I didn't want those people in there. Uh, and, and, uh, A-Rod and, and Ramirez were easy ones because they actually failed tests. <laughs> um, so that, that that was no problem. It's very, very hard. It was, to me, the, the, the one of the real dark sides of baseball's ever had, and baseball's still trying to get out of it from a statistical point of view. So I, 
I haven't done it. And it's hard because people say, well, how can you do that? These were the best players or, or Bonds was a Hall of Famer before he, he did the steroids. Don't, I don't care. I don't care. Uh, it, you know, it, I just think it, it had such a damage to the game that the game is still trying to get out of it. Yeah. And then talking about damaging the game, you know, you left off Carlos Beltran and, yeah. you know, we, we saw that you said <laughs> not everybody from that Astros team should be punished, but, but Beltran as the mastermind definitely should be. So, you know, I guess kind of a, a two-part question, maybe if you want to elaborate on that a little bit more, but also, you know, where would you draw the line go, you know, just in general with who is responsible and how it should kind of determine their reputation going forward? Yeah. I'll have to look at it. Look at it case by case. People have said Ho Jose Altuve. Uh, they said he had that uniform that he had something on it. Altuve has, has denied that and others have denied it, that he, that he wasn't part of it. But Beltran, the reason I did it with him was it's not hearsay. He actually admitted that, that, <laughs> He was a big part of this. And he he said that he was. And it it wasn't just me saying, oh, you shouldn't be on my ballot. It cost him a job as a manager of the Mets. And it certainly has cost him Hall of Fame votes. Um, it's something that I think hurt the game. It's something that those those Astros, they were that was a tremendous team, that 2017 team, but they're always going to be stained by that. And if Beltron is an admitted mastermind of this uh, for now. He's not on my ballot. Again, I can understand people to put him on their ballots. He had a great career. Absolutely. I think there's also that book out there that basically says it's an Alex Cora and it was Carlos Beltron, the 1A and 1B that were the guys that basically mastermind the whole thing, even over AJ Hinch. And obviously they've got the Black Sox scandal from 100 years ago. I'm not sure if it's the same, but it sort of is pretty similar. It's a World Series getting tainted as a result of things so uh, obviously all those Black Sox players are not in the Hall of Fame definitely could draw something similar to the 2017 Astros yeah you ask the teams that the Astros beat in the playoffs how they <laughs> felt about it no I know from New York a lot of Yankee fans are still not too happy about that 2017 <laughs> yeah. ALCS uh, yeah. <laughs> no but there are a couple other interesting players on the bout this year that probably don't have like the taint of some suspicion or some steroids or anything like that but definitely interesting cases I want to pick your brain on, especially a guy like Andrew Jones or a guy like Torrey Hunter, who are good baseball players, but in your perspective, not good enough to make the Hall of Fame. Well, I don't always don't like to talk about guys that don't make it and why they shouldn't make it because you're putting them down and they're great players. Andrew Jones, and we're, we're told also to look at the character stuff. He had an off the field uh, issue there that just never sit right, set right with me. Um, you know, whether that's right or, or not. And Torrey Hunter, I thought was just a really good player, but didn't, didn't quite make it to that next level. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I'm sure, do you have a guy that I know maybe if you don't know where he's about, but a maybe potential seventh guy that was right there on your border that you almost put on your ballot or was it always from the beginning? All right. I like these six guys and this is going to be that ballot. No, it was, I had five and right was the right was the borderline guy uh, oh. for me. And and Utley was a little above borderline. Uh, Utley was like a what a sixty four win player over in his career. I mean, there are a lot of the the analytics people love Utley, and you can see why. The other thing is, I I watched his whole career uh, from Philadelphia. Saw saw what he did uh, when he was with the Phillies before he went to the Dodgers. And uh, uh, so Wright was kind. Wright was the guy I really debated a lot about with myself. 
And you kind of alluded to this earlier with, you know, how you compare players and how, you know, the game has changed obviously a lot. And then, you know, especially recently, you know, with all these new rule changes, you know, when you're making this decision 10 years down the line with guys who are retiring and then getting on the ballot, do you think that some of these more recent rule changes will, you know, juice up some of their stats or, or kind of deaden some of their stats and you'll have to kind of not think about comparing them and and will that you know how much harder will that make your job i guess yeah that's that's a good question i mean the shifts how much will the shifts uh help somebody i guess you'll have to look at each person individually i i i don't think that there are people at least that we've looked at now that that had that problem um were, were these are people that could hit the all all areas of the field but it might be something, Matt. It, I, I can't say it won't be. It might be because that's the biggest thing. And also the stolen bases, of, you know, guys are stealing a million bases and everything. And you look at that and everything. But I don't think just off the top of my head, it, it will dramatically affect it. But I can't say it won't. It yeah, stolen, stolen bases was the first thing that came to my head because, you know, with the, with the bigger bases, it's definitely going to be somewhat easier to steal. So, It'd be it'll be interesting to see what you know some of these younger guys like Ellie De La Cruz in 20, 25 years when he's on the ballot, you know, what what that'll uh what that'll do for him. Yeah, I hope he gets his batting average up a little bit before <laughs> yeah, we start mentioning him on future ballots. But you're right. Uh, I'll tell you, his first month in the big leagues, you thought he was already in there. Uh you <laughs> thought he was already a Hall of Fame player, but very exciting player though. Just a really exciting player. I love it. And I do have to ask because I did recently see that you published an article about him and a guy that's probably going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer someday is Bryce Harper. What's it been like, obviously, as a Philly guy, getting to watch him really embody the city of Philadelphia? It seems like people are already forgetting he was a national for almost a decade. And now everyone is like Bryce Harper is a Philly through and through. And then also you had an interesting piece on is it time for an extension for Bryce Harper? Yeah, you're talking about something I wrote for uh, SouthJersey.com on Bryce Harper. And um, listen, he's been with the Phillies five years now, by the way. That's more than a little sample. He's one to one MVP. We know what he did in the uh, playoffs uh, last year. He kind of started out well in the playoffs this year, but uh, it didn't do as well at the end. But he's known as one of the great clutch players uh, of all time. But when I hear people say, Oh, is Bryce Harper already the best Philly of all time? Let, let's pump the brakes a little bit. You, you remember a guy named Mike Schmidt? He was pretty good. Uh, Schmidt is the the gold standard uh, for position players, Steve Carlton for pitchers. But uh, let's pump the brakes on that. Bryce is a good player. He's on a Hall of Fame path. There's there's no question about it. He's an exciting player. He he did so much. He came back from that ACL uh, uh, or the Tommy John surgery, excuse me, in 162 days that's just incredible and he had a great year and he also played first base he helped them out so so Schwarber could be more of a DH um so he's a great team player and everything but I don't think I don't think with eight years left on his contract we should be talking extensions now let's let's put it this way I think his average annual value is a little over 25 million a year and by Bryce Harper's standards that's underpaid but come on he's got eight years to go his his agent Scott Boris reportedly at the at the winter meeting said that, that Bryce brought this up. I'm not sure how much of this is Boris, how much of it is Bryce. My guess is the Phillies might might try to do something because of how much he means for the franchise. But I, I I'd be worrying about uh, signing Zach Wheeler and people like that before I thought about giving Bryce Harper an extension. 
Yeah, and then talking, you know, talking about Bryce Harper and how good that team was last year. You know, what is it like to cover a team like the Phillies, Citizens Bank Park, one of the most dynamic ballparks in the country? You know, big playoff run last year. What I guess, what is it like to be a reporter when your your team is is that good? Well, I'll, t- I'll tell you, Matt. I'll, I'm honest about this. I, I don't cover them on a day to day basis. I I come in there to do columns, but it's 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 always a better thing to cover a team when, when they're going well. I covered them when they won the World Series in, in 08, when they went to the World Series in 09. And at that time from 2007 to 2011, when they made the playoffs every year, there was just a dynamic group. The thing about Philadelphia that people may not uh, realize is the atmosphere at that ballpark, the Philadelphia fans, I, I know their national reputation. We hear <laughs> they booed Santa Claus, blah, blah, blah. It's, it's so old and tired. But they are as passionate as any fans. And as the players say, they let you know uh, when they're not playing well. Just ask the Eagles. But they also <laughs> really, really pump you up when you're doing well. And and to me, uh, the playoffs, not this past year, but the year, the year before in 2022, you could just hear. Uh, I've never heard a ballpark as loud. That was louder in, in that ballpark than it was when they won the World Series. I I think uh, when I was there. So it's just a great atmosphere. It's it's a great sports town. It's a tremendous sports town. And and guys like Harper have have really um, embraced it. You know, uh, he's embraced it. He he has said, "Hey, when we're doing bad, we we deserve it." And he's he's probably the biggest fan favorite among all the sports uh right now in philadelphia i think there's two cool moments from this year there's the trey turner standing ovation that when he was struggling yeah. out of his mind in april and may and all of a sudden philly fans like we're not gonna boo him we're gonna cheer him as loud as possible and obviously trey turned it into a top 10 shortstop year and also alec bohm i know he had the moment where he's like i hate it here he said something pretty similar to that under his breath and then obviously he hit a couple homers a couple days later and everyone was cheering for him and as much as Potter and I as New Yorkers don't like rooting for the <laughs> Phillies, we do have to give Philly fans credit for being some of the most uh, attentive and loyal fans out there in the world. Well, what what happened, I think uh, the Boehm issue was two, uh, 2022. What happened was he admitted to it right away. He basically, <laughs> he didn't hide from it. He said, I said it. I was frustrated. And Philly fans will give you a little bit of uh, uh, leeway. <laughs> If, if, if you're honest with that. So uh, when he did that uh, and all of a sudden, and I don't think it's a coincidence. He started playing better. The Trey Turner thing that for people that don't know, that was started by a guy named Jack Fritz on WIP radio. Who's a, who's a producer slash on air host. And uh, he's the one that first suggested it and said, to do it. And it, it really did work. And, and Turner said it, it worked and you saw his numbers in August after that standing ovation. And some people say the Philadelphia fans are getting soft now doing stuff <laughs> like that, you know, because they're known as being so vicious and everything like that, but it, it certainly worked for Turner. You know, just to shift gears a little bit, talking about potential hall of famers down the line uh, with Otani, you know, this, this past signing, what are, what are your thoughts on major contracts like that? You know, what do you what do you make of this? Because I know Dylan and I see numbers like seven hundred million dollars. We can't even wrap our heads around how many zeros are at the end of that. But I'm just kind of curious what what your feelings are about these mega contracts now that are being dealt out. Yeah, I. It's funny, Matt. I I 
the Otani thing is crazy because he's only getting two million a year for ten year only. Only getting, <laughs> and, then, and then he's getting the rest of it deferred. I mean, what a crazy contract that is. Now I know his his endorsements. I think he makes like fifty million a year. So Otani's not going to go on food stamps, believe me. <laughs> you know, with the with the two million a year, you wonder if any one player is worth that and you say to yourself well how many more people can he bring the dodgers the dodger stadium they have the best attendance around but with otani there's more than that you know there's there's the international stuff there it's not just selling selling uh uniform shirts of him there's you know television rights there, there's just a lot so if anyone maybe will make this investment worth it, it, it believe it or not it, it, it could be him but on the, on a baseball standpoint, it's it's obviously risky for a guy that, well, he's not saying he had Tommy John surgery. I don't know what it is, but he's not pitching this year. He intends to pitch again. But what if he is only able to hit and you're paying him seventy million a year? You'll just have to see. But he is a he is a, a global star and, and the biggest star in baseball. So if you're going to do it, you're going to spend that kind of money he he might be the type of guy to do it he, he might it might bring back for the Dodgers who is you saw this off season one thing about the Dodgers they're going to be the team everybody wants to root against outside of Los <laughs> Angeles because everyone thinks they're they're buying themselves uh, a potential World Series funny that you bring up you know what if he never pitches again because last night we had our bold predictions episode that we recorded and my exact bold prediction was Shohei Otani doesn't pitch again. And then Dylan <laughs> said, that's a very expensive DH. So, you know, <laughs> it is, it is definitely a risk that they took and, and, you know, who sees, you know, who knows what's going to happen. Yeah. And, and Matt, there's talk that Otani could even, there's thoughts of even putting him in the bullpen. I, I'm not sure that would work for a guy that's always been a starter and always used to the regimen and everything, but, you know, it's not just not just Otani. Boy, the Dodgers—they uh, have money coming out of everywhere for what they did this offseason. season, and they really needed to build up a pitching staff that was just so depleted by injuries. Absolutely, it seemed like once they acquired Tyler Glasnow, I was like, all right, Yoshinobu Yamamoto is going to come to the East Coast if it's Mets, Phillies, Red Sox, Yankees, and then all of a sudden the Dodgers are like, no, we have three hundred million dollars lying around for him too, and obviously signed Glasnow to a hundred million dollar extension, Otani seven hundred, and. It seems like the Dodgers might not even be done yet either. So remains to be seen what the evil empire is up to. But they are. They are. The, they've replaced the Yankees as the new evil empire. And how about that? You just mentioned Glasnow with a $100 million extension. It sounds like chump change compared to those <laughs> other two, right? <laughs> no, absolutely. Because I think what was Wheeler's contract was similar to that when he first signed with the Phillies, I think. It was around 140 150 or so, I think. If I uh, Wheeler, the Phillies got one of the best. Uh, free agent uh, he called a bargain five years and 118 million dollars and wheeler who is uh i believe it's 34 in those 34 season has just done a tremendous job and he's going to be a free agent after this season and and it's hard because of his age and everything but man his production you know he's had he's had one tommy john in the past uh but his production uh, over these years, this is one of the great signings uh, that the Phillies have, have really ever done in the free agent market. Absolutely. I wouldn't complain with a little reunion in Queens. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, you guys being uh, fans, they they certainly wouldn't. And, and by the way, 
with the uh, Mets owner, uh, Steve Cohen, don't you think he'll he'll bid a few dollars to try to get Wheeler back there? No, it could definitely be interesting next offseason. But the last play I wanted to ask you about, since I know as a Philly guy, and it seems like the writing on the wall is about this guy not returning to Philly next year is Reese Hoskins. So what has it been like getting to see Reese play in Philly for the last couple of years? And then does it seem like the timing is right here that it might be time to go separate ways? Well, I think when they announced after the season that Harper was going to be a first baseman next year, I think that basically said, see you, Reese, um, <laughs> because um, they really want Schwarber to be a DH. Um, Schwarber is a, a great team guy and had really weird numbers, but uh, Jason Stark had a great uh, article about that. But they won a lot with him as a leadoff batter, even though he hit 197. Uh, but they don't want him playing defense as much as possible. So with that happening, uh, I just you, you just don't see a spot for Reese. Uh, Reese endeared himself to the Phillies fans uh, over the years, and especially uh, with his postseason, especially in the uh, NLCS in 2022. And, and he's been a very good Philly. He's been a stand-up guy. He and his wife do a lot in the community too. And uh, – He'll be missed. I just don't see there's room for him. There, there are some teams that could use him. You talk about the Cubs. You talk about the Giants. There, there are teams. And, again, he's a Scott Boris guy, so we'll see what happens. Will he go on a one-year, make-good deal, and then try to go out in free agency again? Who knows? But I, I think if he's healthy, you know, and he, he suffered that uh, uh, ACL tear in spring training. So if he's 100% healthy and, and back to form, um, and he's a guy that walks a lot, too. He has a good eye, um, strikes out a little more than you want. But uh, I, I think he can help some teams. Absolutely. I love it. Well, this has been a blast getting to explore some Philly history as well as your Hall of Fame ballot. I know Matt and I have enjoyed the conversation a lot, and we look forward to doing this again next year if you'd want to come back on with us talking some CC Sabathia, some Ichiro Suzuki, and yeah. I'm sure some other interesting guys next year. Yeah, yeah. Book book me for it, Dylan and Matt. I, <laughs> I, I really enjoyed it. Absolutely. Thank you so much. So, Matt, unless you have anything else here to throw in. Oh, this was great. Always a good time. Thank you for uh, thanks for coming on again. Yeah, my pleasure, guys. Absolutely. So for Dylan Campione, Matt Potter, and Mark Narducci, until next year, the side is retired. <laughs>